Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. So you're talking about a grand total of 30 years have passed in his life. And it's at this moment where Jacob finally wakes up and says, you know what we need to be doing? We need to go to church. We need to worship God. As a family, we've got to do these things. It's never too late. He's 30 years into this thing. It's never too late. It's never too late. Don't let the enemy whisper that lie into your ear saying, listen, you haven't been there in so long. You can't go back. Jacob, one of the most important figures in the Bible, was distant from God for almost 30 years, yet was still able to go back to him. Pastor James teaches you today that there's no point in your life where God's not an option. No matter how distant you may get from Him, no matter what type of sin you allowed to infiltrate your life, Jesus is always ready to take you back. If you've been apart from God and fear that it's too late, know that it isn't. Jesus desires to have you back. Hesitate no longer. Go to Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 35 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. that I study Jacob, the more I find I'm a lot like him. And that's encouraging and discouraging all at the same time. Where I'm like, oh man, Um, yeah, this is like my life, it feels like at times. But he knows about this stuff. And what I love about this interaction is God says nothing about the idols. Nothing about the idols. All God tells Jacob is, go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel. Jacob finally steps up. Something was pricked in his heart where he finally wakes up and says, okay, something's not right. Family meeting. We're having a family meeting. This is a mess. We need to fix this. God is calling us to go to Bethel, back to the house of God. But internally within our family, something's not right. And I think it's those ugly little carved things that we have in our family. Why do we have those? Why are we bowing down to those things? Why are we doing that? That's not the God we worship. That's not the God who, who we're about. These things are bad. These things are messing up our family. Let's toss them. Let's get them out. It's time to clean house. And I love that. That that was Jacob initiated. That was Jacob initiated simply based on God lovingly and compassionately showing up in his life and says, hey, Jacob, it's time to go back to the house of God. And that, that sparked revival within his heart and for his family. Sometimes that's all you need. Just a little word from the Lord. And revival, revival only happens when we're obedient to God. Let me tell you that because I know, and we pray for revival to happen on this island, and you have to pray for revival, but if you have prayer with no obedience, it's never going to happen. I'm sorry, but it won't happen. Why should it? Why would God do something if we're not willing to obey him, right? There's churches, and we are, you know, guys are meeting, and we're doing all this stuff, And praying for it has to be there. But if it's not followed up with obedience, it might be praying in vain, right? So there has to be that. And for Jacob, he has this this interaction with God, 
And that sparks obedience within his life. And he says, okay, nope, time to clean house. Time to clean house. We got to get rid of all this garbage, get rid of all the foreign gods, because they probably have accumulated more than just what they stole from Laban. Time to get rid of all this stuff. We need to purify ourselves. We need to change our garments, our filthy rags, and put on new garments, garments of righteousness. Praise God that when you accept Jesus, that he's the one who clothes you with his righteousness. And it's not really up to you. You can try to be as good as you want to be. You can try to be as good as you want to be. But you're nothing without Jesus, and you're nothing without his garments of righteousness that he places on you. You can't do it. You can't do it. But there are moments where we have to wake up and say, okay, where am I at? What's going on in my life? What have I allowed into my life, into my heart, that has taken the place of God? And if you identify certain things like that, well, then it's time to reposition those within your life because they can be good things. It's not always bad things. They can be good things that just need to be moved down the priority list, so to speak. God should always be number one, always, always number one within our hearts, always. The moment something takes precedence over him, we need to readjust, move that thing down the list. And if it's something that you can live without or you don't need or is bad, then you need to bury it under a tree, okay? And that tree would be the cross. Bury it under that thing and just leave it there. Just leave it there. That's what they do. Verse 3, he tells his family, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way in which I've gone. He's acknowledging finally the fact that God has always been with me. He's always been with me. We wouldn't have made it this far if God hadn't have been with us, is what he's telling his family. Now, it's time that we go back to worshiping him. It's time. And even for the, I mean, for the first time that we see this is a family thing. This is like the first time. And that should be an encouragement to all of us because not only is this 10 years into the promised land, but you also have that time spent at Laban's house. That was 20 years total where he's having his kids during that time. So you're talking about a grand total of 30 years have passed in his life. And it's at this moment where Jacob finally wakes up and says, you know what we need to be doing? We need to go to church. We need to worship God. As a family, we've got to do these things. It's never too late. He's 30 years into this thing. It's never too late. It's never too late. Don't let the enemy whisper that lie into your ear saying, listen, you haven't been there in so long. You can't go back. That's nonsense. That's a lie from the enemy himself. You can always come back. And Jacob's like, hey, family, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to follow God. He made the same declaration that that uh, Joshua's going to make not too, long from, not too far from here. When he's leading the children of Israel, after Moses has passed on, Joshua stands before the children of Israel and says, listen, here's how it's going to go. Me and my family, we're going to serve God. You make the choice. But this is what we're doing. We are following God. We are serving the Lord. Now it's time for you to make that call. You're going to follow him or are you not? Are you on the team or are you not? Because if you're not, you go that way because we're going this way. Like, that's the same thing that Joshua and Jacob, Jacob's just telling his family, oh, no, we're following God. That's it, period. We're going to follow God. That's what we're going to do. Now, is all his family on board? I don't know. I don't know. do not tell us. They don't act like it. <laughs> they don't always, certainly one of his sons is not going to act like it at the end of this chapter. That doesn't matter. 
What matters the most is Jacob has this wake-up call, and he has gone, he's going to go back to the Lord, and he's going to serve the Lord faithfully. Sometimes they follow, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they don't until much later, because sometimes people just need extra time. I don't know about you guys, this thing is very dense and hard to get stuff through. And this thing sometimes is even harder, and it's harder to get stuff in there. And the Lord's always telling me stuff, and you know, and I, unfortunately, I'm just, I don't always get it. I don't always get it. And it took me a while to finally say, oh, I think I get what you're saying, God. I think I, wait, I think I understand. It's only taken, you know, 10, 12 years or so, but oh, I think I've, I got it. Sometimes I just need time. Jacob needed time. This is his time, and it's time to go back, and it's time to clean house it's time to separate yourself. It's time for holiness. It's time for holiness. Holiness is a distinction between them and everybody that was surrounding them. And they have a very good idea of the people that are surrounding them because they just took advantage of them as a family. They just hurt them as a family. And Jacob is saying, listen, we will not be like these people. We will follow God. We're going to follow him. So change your garments. Clean up. Get rid of the idols. Purify yourselves. It's time to change our clothes. We will be holy. We will be distinct. There will be a difference between us and them. So they respond. And they, 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 give up all the, they give up all the gods. Um, verse 4, it says, So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. See, there, there's a great accumulation here of things. And probably some of those earrings just came from the village they just slaughtered. All right? So they're, they're giving all this stuff, and, and let me, because this just kind of popped into my brain. Um, let's not forget that they've also accumulated new people, okay? Because they slaughtered the men of the village, but they took all the wives and the, all the ladies and all the children. So they've brought in new people. Perfect time for Jacob to say, this is how this family runs. And for you guys who've been brought into this family, here's the expectation, all the foreign gods that you guys are bringing into this family, we're throwing those away too because you're going to line up with how we do things, okay? So even some of those earrings, probably stolen from dead bodies, but also maybe used by some of the, maybe worn by some of the women that they have now brought in as slaves or servants. I think this is a top to bottom kind of a deal where it's not just like just my immediate family. I think Jacob's just finally making a stand for his family and those who work for him and saying, this is how it's going to go from now on. This is how it's going to go from now on. So they gave up all the stuff, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. See? Buried under a tree. Anytime you see a tree reference in the Old Testament, you should immediately think of the cross. Okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. Just think of the cross, all right? It's not wrong to do that. And in fact, that's probably a good thing for you to think of, okay? So think of that. And when I see that, I think, what better place to lay down all the stuff and all the junk and all the things that take the place of Jesus is to lay him down at the foot of the cross, that thing where he was hung on, where he died on. So just put that image into your brain. And the next time you're struggling with things that take priority over Jesus, just remember, remember what he did for us on the cross. Take those things and lay it at, lay it at the base of that thing and then just walk away. Walk away. That's part of repentance. Repentance is not simply just laying it at the, maybe the foot of the cross and then just kind of hanging out there, staring at it, right? Thinking like, 
I think he's going to take it. I think he's going to do something with it. I don't know. I should probably stand here and watch and make sure, right? Like, I, don't, I shouldn't go too far. No, no. Repentance is just a simple act of laying it at his feet, turning your back, and just following him. Just like, I'm, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. It's, it's yours. That's what he does. He buries it underneath the terebinth tree. Verse 5, and they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities. Of course it was, okay? Because there's, there's, here's the thing, all right? Number one, because they're acting in obedience, so this terror, it's like they've now been, they're, they're just a small family, but they're walking in obedience. And so God is going to protect them. And he has this way of, it doesn't matter. He can, he can surround these guys and he can communicate this to other nations, right? Because just because they don't follow him doesn't mean he can't talk to them, all right? So he has a way to communicate with the other nations of saying, don't mess with these guys. Don't you dare mess with these guys. Or even putting that feeling upon their hearts of like, oh, those are those Israelites. The other side of, side of that is they just slaughtered a whole village. And so there might be this idea of like, we probably shouldn't mess with these guys. But I think it's more supernatural in that God is protecting them because really a lot of these villages and all these cities, they would be upset for what, the, for what these two sons have done to the city. And they would be, you know, if, if you just look at, read history in itself, they would be pursuing an opportunity to, to get revenge. That's just how it went. But God is supernaturally pr- protecting them. So the terror of God has, has come upon the cities that were around them, and they did not pursue the son to Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel. Remember, he changed it from Luz to Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and, placed, and called the place El Bethel. Now, that doesn't mean the Bethel, okay? So Again, just so you know, we're not talking Spanish here. This is Hebrew, and that is God, the house of God, or God of the house of God. I love this, because you can miss this if you're just reading through this. You'll be like, oh, okay, El Bethel, that's kind of cool. No, here's the difference. When he first showed up, he called it the house of God. Now that he's gone back, the emphasis is no longer on the place itself. The emphasis is on God himself, El Bethel, God of the house of God. So he was right in naming it the house of God the first time, absolutely. But when he shows back up 30 years later, and he's got all this stuff with him, and all this heartache, and all the things, he recognizes that better than the place is the one who can be found at the place, God of the house of God. That would be my prayer and my hope for Calvary Galveston. That it's not Calvary Galveston and that's not church. No, what I would, the thing that I pray the most about is that when people walk through those doors, that beyond a friendly environment or family kind of welcoming environment, the thing I pray above all that is that Jesus would meet you here. And that this place would be not just the house of God, because I understand we, our bodies are the temple. I understand all that stuff, okay? I get all that stuff. But when we gather corporately, my prayer is that, man, that this would be like a place where he is found, where he is found. And it's kind of like that, that El Bethel, God of the house of God. Personally in our lives, that should be it. Because your name, you're, you could be called Bethel, right? You could be house of God. Like he resides in you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has set up residency within you. But even beyond, it should be, your life should be about El Bethel. Like, it just should always be screaming, my life is about God. 
My life is for him, it's about him, and I'm nothing apart from him. He changed the name, Jacob did. He's the one who changed the name to it. And I just love that because, again, it's an indication of the change that's happening within his heart and within his mind as we're just following this guy through his life. El Bethel. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Verse 8. Now, that's good. It's all good. And just like life, it throws us curveballs or maybe things we're not expecting. Praise God for his timing that he gets Jacob... Praise God for his timing that he gets Jacob to Bethel, to El Bethel, when he did. Because when life shows up in your life, the best place to be is in his presence and where he's at. Because I promise you this, life is going to throw you some curveballs. And you don't want to be in Shechem. And Jacob already knows this because he was in Shechem when really life, and I would say even so much sin on that side of things, reared its ugly head. But life in and of itself, we live and we die. It's just, it's what happens. But he's going to lose a friend. And praise God, he's in El Bethel when that happens. It's sad, but at least he's in the right place, physically, geographically. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. Now, remember, Rebecca is Jacob's mom, okay? And she loved Jacob more than Esau, we can just, we know that. We can already say that. So Rebecca was the, was the nurse, not just to Jacob, but also to Esau as well. But this is somebody that Jacob was going to spend a lot of time with, okay? She would almost be one who was probably like just, well, she was going to be heavily invested within his life and, and some of the educational aspects of things and bringing him up and, you know, just helping out. So we know that there was probably a, just a strong bond, a friendship that was there. We don't know to what degree or anything like that, but for sure, it was a friend of his. Uh, it says, now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel underneath the terebinth tree. So underneath another tree, there goes Rebecca, or Deborah, a faithful servant. Re- Rebecca has already passed away at this point in time. So the name of it was called uh, Alon uh, Bakus. And so there's that. I mean, okay, so what we see is a closing of chapters, so to speak, in Jacob's life. His mom has passed away. Now, this nurse who had been heavily invested within his life, at least early on, has now passed away, and the hits just keep on coming, okay? Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he's reminding him of this. Remember this conversation we had where I changed your name from Jacob, which means deceiver or a heel catcher. Um, and I changed it to Israel, which means, among many other things, governed by God. Okay? God is reminding him. So he's gotten him back to Bethel. Jacob has cleaned house. He's thrown out the idols. They've purified themselves. They've done all this stuff. And now God is coming back with not a new revelation, with something that he's already said. Because that's, again, that's all we need. That's all we need. It's all you need. Somebody's going around saying, I have a new revelation from God. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to pass on that because I still don't even understand all the old ones he said. So let me focus on this. I'm going to spend my lifetime trying to figure out what he's already said. Um, and you can keep the new revelations to yourself because I'm just not interested because I don't think he needs to say anything else. He said a lot in his word. So I'm just going to hear that. I'm going to, I'm going to, hit, I'm going to just listen to that. Um, it's safer that way too. I don't know about you. I've heard some of these new revelations, and I'm like, I don't think that's biblical. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're reading the same Bible or even following the same God. I, I don't know, but um, whatever. Uh, 
Just stick to this. You don't need a new one. You just need to be reminded of what he's already said, and specifically what he's already said about you. So he called his name Israel, verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai, right? That's a cool name for God. That just sounds cool, El Shaddai. That just sounds cool and powerful. Well, because it is. That means he's powerful. He's God Almighty, God the most powerful. There's none bigger or stronger than him, is what this name is saying. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And he tells him, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. Well, hold on. Wait. There's problems in the land today. Who actually owns the land? Um, God does. Okay? So if there's any dispute on who owns the land and the West Bank and all, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, God owns that land, and he can give it to whoever he wants. Okay? Uh, I'll tell you this, too. Um, This land that we occupy, that we call America, um, God owns that, too, and he can give it to whoever he wants. In fact, the whole earth... And the whole universe, we'll just say it. He owns it all because he made it and he can do with it whatever he wants and give it to whoever he wants. Settled. It's done. That's all they need. That's all they need to know over there, right? And then peace and I don't know. They, they, they're working it out. Um, but we know, even from, from what the word says initially, I mean, there's no issues there. God's like, yeah, it's mine. And I gave it to Abraham. Done. And Abraham, because Ishmael didn't, wasn't qualified to receive the promise, and it goes to Isaac. And Isaac received the promise. And Esau was not qualified to receive the promise. So it went to Jacob. And so Jacob, and then on to his boys. That's how it is. So God has given in this land to, this, to your descendants. I give this land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel, okay? House of God. So just a nice little reminder of what God has already said in this interaction. And this is also something that we need to be aware of. This is the last time God shows up in Genesis. This is it. The last time he makes an appearance in Genesis. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not active or even speaking through Genesis, because we're about to transition into my all-time favorite, Joseph. Hands down, my all-time favorite guy. Love this guy. Love this guy. Um, We're going to transition into his life uh, in a couple of chapters. But as far as God showing up, not going to happen anymore in Genesis. This is the last time. This is the last time. So God meets with Jacob, reminds him of what he's already said, reminds him of who God says that he is, who Jacob is, and then he leaves. And then he leaves. And he won't show up again in presence kind of that way. Well, Tell the nation of Israel is kind of on the way out of Israel or out of the way of Egypt. So this is fascinating, just kind of fascinating what's, hap- what's, what's going on there. Jacob responds by offering up a drink offering. He's pouring that out uh, on the pillar that he sets up. And he's going to anoint that, so to speak, with oil as well. And he's going to rightly identify this place yet again as Bethel, or even as we know from earlier, El Bethel. This is the place, the house of God. And, uh, and we've seen God Almighty show up, El Shaddai, and we've God of the house. What you need to understand is there's like 20 references to God in this chapter. You know how many were in 34? Zero. The beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. 
The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world, and everything in it, was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning, and the first people to walk the earth, is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke, and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it, and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today. And we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind. And we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.